I really love that intro. I think it's fantastic. I don't know if you know this about me. This may be brand new information for you. I love Christmas. <laughs> You're laughing because you know that's not brand new information. It's kind of become a joke around here a little bit that I love Christmas so much, but it's true. I love Christmas. I love really just about everything about Christmas. One of the things, though, that in particular I really love is Christmas music. And I will tell you that I think that I've succeeded as a parent because my kids love Nat King Cole's chestnuts roasting on an open fire. So if I don't do anything else right as a parent, at least I've got that. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the best. It's the best. I love that. I love Bing singing White Christmas. I love Christmas carols, but I think over the last couple of years, I really have grown in my appreciation for traditional Christmas carols. I've always enjoyed them, but there's something about them that I think over the last couple of years I've really come to appreciate. And that is this beautifully articulated theology that we see in so many Christmas carols. Oh, Holy Night certainly being one of them. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by the light of star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you certainly know that this verse of this wonderful Christmas carol is about the Magi. We often refer to them as wise men. If you're familiar with the the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, you might have heard them called kings. Today, we are going to look at this account of the Magi. But one thing that I know to be true is that sometimes when we read Scripture and it's passages that we have read over and over and over again, passages that we're really familiar with, we can just kind of skim through them and miss what's there. And so my hope and prayer for all of us today is that as we go through this text that the Lord would speak to us in a way that might be new and fresh. There might be something from this text that really speaks to you and helps you engage in this season of Advent. So I invite you now to read with me from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Growing up on Christmas morning, my family would come downstairs and we would get together. And my parents allowed us to open our stockings first. So we, my sister and I, we would get together and we would open our stockings. It's like that appetizer, that little teaser, right? You know, stockings are great, but you see all the presents there under the tree. And so 
we'd have this little, this little moment of excitement, and then we'd sit down and we'd read the Christmas story. My dad would read out of this, this Bible that had all these different passages marked up in it. And for me, that's like, that's the Bible to read the Christmas story out of. I have so many fond memories of him reading. And he'd start in Luke 2, and he'd read about Mary and Joseph, and he'd read about the birth of Jesus, and he'd read about the angels and the shepherds, and all of this beautiful stuff that's happening. And then he'd go to this passage in Matthew chapter 2. And I found this passage to be so fascinating. This is an incredible, incredible passage of scripture. And, and as a child, I thought it was incredible because it just seemed like there were a lot of kings in this passage. I mean, you have King Herod. He's kind of a bad guy. Then you have these magi, which I kind of thought of as kings because of the, the Christmas carol. And then I knew from Sunday school that Jesus was the king of kings. So you have like five kings in this passage. And that was really, really interesting. But then on top of that, you have this, this mission, if you will, that these magi go on. You have this treasure. There is a degree of danger. Herod is, is kind of this nasty guy, and he's going to harm them, so they're warned not to go back to him. But then on top of that, you have this star that somehow leads them to the king of kings, to the king of the Jews, to the Messiah. And today, I still find this fascinating but I find it fascinating for a different reason. I find this passage fascinating because what we read about here in Matthew chapter 2 is people that in real time experienced prophecy come to life. These prophecies of old, these prophecies from scripture come to life and they get to experience this firsthand. And these aren't just any old prophecies. These prophecies are about the son of God, the king of kings. And not only that, but the people coming to worship the king of kings was not a Jew, but a Gentile. Not somebody from the nation of Israel, but a pagan. This is this incredible thing that takes place. They go on this journey, these these Gentile pagan astrologers, as we'll get to in a moment, they're led on this journey by this light and they go to visit the king of the Jews. At the beginning of this passage, Matthew seeks to make very clear where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem, Judea. I think this is important for a couple of reasons. One, there are a couple different Bethlehems. You have Bethlehem in Judea. You also have Bethlehem in Zebulon. So it makes very clear where Jesus is to be born. This is the birthplace, and this is the city where David came from. King David. This This is the city of David. He also points out who's in charge during this time period. This really resonated with me just a few days ago. My son was reading through the Christmas story. And he he asked the question, so what is the difference between Caesar Augustus and King Herod? Like, who are these two guys? What's the relationship? There's a king, but then you've got this other guy who's kind of in control. What What is the relationship? What is the dynamic here? And so here in verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? See, King Herod was client king of Judea. This basically means that Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire, appointed him to oversee this particular region. He was, uh, Herod was in control of this particular region. He was the king there. So they both play very important roles within the Christmas story. We have Caesar Augustus who issues this decree for the census. And then we have King Herod who is client king over this particular region within the Roman Empire. 
And Matthew makes very clear who is in control of this region during the time of Jesus' birth. Herod is king of Judea, and subsequently, Bethlehem, which falls within this region. And it's during this reign of Herod that these magi inquire about the birth of Jesus. Now, as I said, these were not kings. These were most likely astrologers. These were men, most likely, that looked to the stars for wisdom and insight. In fact, the word for magi in the New Testament speaks to this idea of those that seek this secret wisdom. And astrologers did this by looking to the stars. It's kind of where we get this term, wise men. These were men who sought to gain wisdom and understanding. And astrologers were held within high regard, high esteem within the Greco-Roman world. These were people of respect. These were people that were looked to. These weren't just kind of average Joes. These were important people. And so it certainly makes sense that they were looking to the stars. And when they saw whatever it was that they saw, whatever this star in the sky was, that they paid great attention to that. But I think what is even more important here, something for us to really keep in mind as we read this, is that when we step back and look at what Jesus did as he came into the world, his ministry, and what he commissioned us to go and do as disciples, the fact that in the midst of this incredible story, this revelation came to Gentiles. Not Jewish people, not people part of this chosen nation. These were not Jews, they were pagan people, pagan astrologers. But these magi had this understanding to some degree about this idea of this king of, a, of the Jews that was, that was going to come. And they saw the star and they went to Jerusalem. But they went to Jerusalem. And to me, that kind of indicates the fact that they weren't super familiar with Micah's prophecy that we see here in this passage, Micah 5, 2. It speaks to the fact that, that this, this king of kings, this Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. They naturally went to Jerusalem, which kind of makes sense if you stop and think about it. If we had a monarchy here, if we had a king and, and the heir was to be born, we probably would go to Washington, D.C. to look for that heir, not to Maple Valley, right? Bethlehem was an incredibly important city, but it's not necessarily a place where you expect the Messiah to be born, the king of kings, the king of the Jews. So they go to Jerusalem. They go there. They probably have a pretty large entourage. These are important people. And as we come to find out, they are carrying significant treasure with them. They probably had a large entourage and they show up in the city. They don't stop to talk to Herod. They show up there in this capital city. And when they arrive there, it starts to bother Herod. Herod is not excited about this. Now, when we look at this text here, it doesn't say that the Magi followed the star to Jerusalem. It says that the star rose in the sky and they went to Jerusalem. Questions come up. What was this thing in the sky? Was it planets aligning? Was it a comet? Was it a star? We don't necessarily know, but what we know is that this sign in the sky led them to Jerusalem. And when they showed up on the scene in Jerusalem, Herod was mad. He was angry. He was upset. And understandably so. He was the king. He didn't like the idea of people coming to worship another king. And not only that, but the people that are coming to worship this king, this king of the Jews, they're not even Jewish themselves. Think about that. If you are the king in Jewish territory with 
Jewish people around you and some this group of people come that are not Jews to worship a new king, you would probably be kind of upset about that. And that's the scenario that we have here. We see later in this chapter that Herod had really terrible plans because he was so upset and so angry. So Herod calls together the chief priests. He calls together these, these leaders, these legal experts to get a sense of really what is taking place. And the leaders quote from the prophet Mike, and they say this. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem is about five to six miles south of Jerusalem and is the hometown of King David. This is something that Herod would have known. There's a significant lineage out of the city of Bethlehem. And so after hearing this, he secretly summons the Magi. And he inquires about the star, and then he sends them to find the location of the king of the Jews, this Messiah. When arriving, as I said, in the city, the Magi had not gone to King Herod. But now he secretly calls them in. He recognizes that as astrologers who have come because of the sign that they saw in the sky, there is something significant going on here. Rulers feared at times astrological events like this because they often thought that they corresponded with falls of leadership, overthrowing of leaders. And so he was concerned about this. He wanted to know more about it and he wants to make sure he understood where this new king of the Jews was to be born so that he could deal with the situation. And so he calls them in secretly. Why he called them in secretly? Perhaps it was because he didn't want people in the city talking to him, sharing about his poor leadership, his angry temper, the poor way in which he governed, but he calls them together. The Magi probably had an idea of this already, and he relies on their interpretation of what is happening. And so the Magi leave in search of this child. And again, this star shows itself again. And and it says that they follow the star until it rests over the place where the child is. There's speculation about how old Jesus was when the Magi arrived. Was he 12 years old? Was he, or excuse me, 12 days old? Was he older than that? How old was Jesus? We don't know exactly, but it took a little bit of time to get there. We have our nativity sets like this. Mine growing up look very similar to that. And while it's wonderful that we have all the pieces in there, it probably wasn't an open house that Mary and Joseph were, were throwing. You know, it probably wasn't like the shepherds. They show up and, you know, they bring shepherd's pie and, and then, you know, you have the, the kings, the magi show up and they bring their gifts and then they kind of chat. Hey, how are the things in the field? How are things in the sky? That, that wasn't the way that it played out. I kind of thought that as a kid, though, that they're all there at the same time. But there's this time between when the shepherds arrived and when the magi arrive. The magi leave. They go to seek out this child. What's interesting to note is that we don't have any indication that Herod sent other people with them. There's probably an entourage, but it doesn't, we don't know of, of him sending other people with the Magi necessarily to keep tabs on them. But they go and they show up, they follow this star. And when they get there, something really incredible happens. When they arrive at the place where Jesus is, our passage says that they are overjoyed and they rejoice 
Not with ordinary joy, but with exceedingly great joy. Think about this. These are not Jewish people coming to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the long-awaited king of the Jews. These are Gentile people. These are pagan astrologers, and they show up at Jesus' house, essentially, and they're excited. They have exceedingly great joy. They are so thrilled to be there. These are not men that have been longing for this. They've not been anticipating this. But for all intents and purposes, they've been invited into the home of the Messiah. They they are some of the very first people to see the king of the Jews. And they come into the house and they fall down before him. They bow down as was custom. They they put their head to the ground in an act of worship. I love the ESV version because it says that they fall down. Not just that they bow down, but that they fall down. And it makes me wonder if, in fact, they fell down. Did they fall down because this was so much more than they could have possibly anticipated or imagined? Was this so overwhelming? Were they overwhelmed by the moment, the encounter, the proximity to this king of the Jews? I wonder if in that moment, these Gentiles, these pagan wise men, as it were, had an enlightenment. If their eyes were open, not to a light in the sky, but to the light of the world. I wonder if in that moment they recognized the ultimate gift, the ultimate treasure, something far more valuable than gold or frankincense or myrrh. I wonder if while upon their knees they grasped the magnitude of the royalty before which they humbled themselves. Could they have possibly had any sort of inkling of the journey that followers of the Messiah would embark upon? Would they be aware of the risk, but also the reward associated with following this king? How much of this could they have been been aware of as they set their gifts down, their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, these gifts that were given and provided to royalty? How much of that did they really comprehend? It says they fell down, that they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I wonder if they understood any of this. Verse 12 says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, God was leading them. He led them to Jesus and he led them safely back home. And isn't that what he does for us? Through this very child that the Magi came to worship, he leads us. We are led to Jesus and then Jesus leads us safely back home. To our final home, to our heavenly home led by the light of faith serenely beaming as the Magi were led by the light of the star. You and I are led by the light of faith, the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And it's in faith that you and I follow. I have to imagine that before the Magi set out on this journey, they had to ask some questions. They were traveling. Traveling is not easy now. It wasn't easy back then. Is it really worth it to make this journey from the east to Jerusalem? Is it really going to be worth it to seek out this king of the Jews? What do I need to pack? How do I get ready for this? What obstacles am I going to face along the way? What hardships, what trouble might present itself? And I think such a journey requires some tough questions for us as well. How far are we willing to go to follow Christ? To what lengths are we willing to go to worship the true king? What are we willing to risk in order to personally encounter God? What are you willing to lay down 
in terms of earthly treasure in order to worship God. It's so fascinating when we look at the scope of this account that we see all of these incredible symbols and things that play themselves out that actually are characteristics and attributes of Jesus and life with Jesus. We see a guiding light. We see a journey towards something better. We see the risk associated with such a journey. We see wise men. We see kings. We see treasure. And here's this young child born into the most humble and unassuming circumstances. And yet he is our guiding light, the light of the world. And it is toward him and with him that we journey in order to experience something so much better. And while there's risk associated with such a journey there, and there's a potential cost, it is unquestionably worth it. Because in Christ we find wisdom and love and joy and hope and peace and ultimately all of those things that we're looking for. And in him we find the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in him we find the greatest treasure, the greatest gift, something far greater than anything we could possibly offer him. The Magi were led by the light of the star to find the light of the world. And today we are led by the light of the world himself. Because God loves you and me so much, he entered into our darkness to light the way towards redemption and restoration. Led by the light of faith serenely gleaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by the light of the star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. This account of the Magi's journey, I think, is such a beautiful reminder of what God has offered to us and his provision when we seek after him. In the same way that God revealed himself to the Magi, these pagan astrologers, seemingly the most unlikely of recipients for any sort of revelation from God, God makes himself known. And it's my prayer that he might do the same for you whether you are the one who is far from God or you know people in your life that are far from God, I pray God would reveal himself in unexpected ways and that you or those that you know would be led by the light to the manger of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords where all can be laid down before him as an act of worship and obedience. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this Advent season this time of anticipation and preparation. Lord, I thank you for this account of the Magi. I thank you for the reminder that you reveal yourself to us, that you reveal yourself to the most unlikely of individuals, that you work through us in miraculous ways. Lord, this morning, I thank you for the gift of your Son, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and Light of the World. God, we thank you that you light our path, that in the midst of a dark and fallen world, Lord, you protect and provide, and you offer us the most incredible gift imaginable, your son. Lord, I pray that as we celebrate at this time, I pray that we would be mindful of the fact that you sent your son into the world, not to just live an ordinary life, but to be the savior of all. 
to die upon a cross, Lord, to take our sins. Lord, I pray that we'd be mindful of the totality of this story, but also aware of the fact that you continue to work today, that the story is not finished, Lord. You are working in our lives today, and there are those around us, Lord, that you want to invite into this beautiful, beautiful story of restoration and redemption. Lord, I pray that we would be used by you. I pray that when we think of you, we would fall down on our knees and rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And I pray that those around us would observe the joy that is in our lives, that the joy in our lives would not come from happenings, but come from you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.